Today on Abounding Grace, arriving at a biblical balance and understanding of the law and grace. We love the grace of God. We teach the grace of God. But when it comes to grace and law, there's a great mistake that's made. And often it's the mistake of the either or. For example, for those of you that love the grace of God, you you may teach it's all grace and no law. Or those of you that gravitate toward the law, which is unfortunate, but let's say you do, you come and say, it's all law and no grace, either or. But actually the Bible teaches that it's both. That both are very essential and important for us to understand the heart of God. Paul taught us it's both because the law is holy. It's just, it's good. This is amazing grace. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Join us in Hebrews as we study this wonderful epistle and learn of God's abounding grace. Law of God is often misunderstood or misapplied. Some think it's no longer needed, while others try to live up to it in an attempt to gain a right standing with God. But today, Pastor Ed wants us to arrive at a biblical understanding of the law. You'll learn four reasons the law is holy, just, and good. Notice with me now in Romans chapter 7. Turn over to Romans chapter 7 with us as we learn the benefits and the purpose of the law. Romans chapter 7, pick up with me in verse 7 there. As Paul is writing to to the Roman believers, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? And notice the answer, certainly not. One of the strongest ways in the original language to say absolutely no way. Is the law sin? No way. But on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion of the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good." Sometimes as we value the law, or excuse me, value the grace of God, because we are a ministry that is uh, centered in the grace of God, we love the grace of God, we teach the grace of God, but when it comes to grace and law, there's a great mistake that's made. And often it's the mistake of the either or. For example, for those of you that love the grace of God, you, you may teach it's all grace and no law. Or those of you that gravitate toward the law, which is unfortunate, but let's say you do, you come and say, it's all law and no grace, either or. But actually the Bible teaches that it's both. That both are very essential and important for us to understand the heart of God. 
Paul taught us it's both because the law is holy. It's just, it's good. Jot it down in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, And what great nation is there that such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Who, who is it in the world that gets to have the righteous statutes and judgments of God? Or in Psalm 119, verse 172, it says, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. They're good, and they're good for us. And you say, wait a minute, Pastor Ed, are you saying that we must keep the law in order to be saved? The answer is no, absolutely not. Neither does the Bible, and neither does the New Covenant. The law is established by our faith for the purpose for which it was created and given. You know, the law is God's standard, showing us our need for a Savior. It's, our, it's God's standard. Let me read to you this section of Romans in the New Living Translation. Listen to what he says. Paul says, I felt fine when I didn't understand that the, what the law demanded. But when I learned the truth, I realized that I had broken the law and was a sinner doomed to die. So the good law, which was supposed to show me the way of life, instead gave me the death penalty. Sin took advantage of the law and fooled me. It took the good law and used it to make me guilty of death. But still, the law itself is holy, right, and good. And so today I want to give you four reasons why the law is good, holy, and just. Four purposes of the law that are very important for us to grasp. So if you're taking notes, number one, we find in verse 7 of Romans 7, the law defines for us what sin is. The law defines for us what sin is. Notice Paul says, I wouldn't have known sin except from the law. I wouldn't have known what sin is. Because God uses his law to show us what sin really is. God has declared for all of mankind, all of eternity, what sin is. Remember the children of Israel as they're coming out of the uh, slavery in Egypt and they're right in the next generation is entering into the promised land just after the victory at the city of Ai Joshua in Joshua chapter 8 he rehearses the law before the people and writes it down plain before them and declares it to them and reminds them that they have direction in life reminds them of the right way to live reminds them that they are following the God who is given direction for their life he decides to bring them back to God's word so that they might know the direction that God has for them. And one of the things they learned as the law was being rehearsed for them was this. Obedience brings blessings. That's still true today. When you obey God, you can expect the blessing of God. You can expect to be in a place of blessing in your relationship with God when you obey God. Let me put it a different way. It is never, ever, ever wrong to obey God. Anybody want to say amen to that? Never wrong to obey God. Look at your neighbor. It's so important. Look at your neighbor and tell them it's never wrong to obey God. Tell them. They need to hear it from you. It's never wrong to obey God. Ever, never, ever, if you ever question, just remember the face that just told you. It's never wrong to obey God. Obedience brings blessings. But you know what the law teaches? Disobedience brings consequence. Or the law specifically says disobedience brings death. 
Sin is a serious thing. And the law reminds us that sin exists. The law reminds us that obedience brings blessings and disobedience brings consequences. Listen, sin is the number one cause of death and pain and sorrow and suffering in the world today. The age-old question of why does a good God allow all the evil rampant? The answer to that question is there's evil in the world today because of sin. Sin is the, the cause. It creeps into households. It creeps into cubicles. It, it flows through the lives of those who choose to sin. Why are things so difficult in your life today? One of the ways that you must ask God, one of the questions you must ask is, is there any unconfessed sin I'm living in today? And you say, well, wait a minute, Ed, what is sin? Well, that's the good news of the law. Through the law, God defines for us what sin is. He tells us what his righteous standard is. Who defines sin? God does. Society is unable to accurately define what is right and wrong. Because society always changes their opinion of what's right and wrong, almost always to suit themselves. It's like a world, we live in a world that's not unlike the time of the book of Judges, where the book of Judges teaches us that everyone was doing that which was right in their own eyes. So we can't rely upon society to tell us what's right and wrong because it's always changing. We can't rely upon the politicians that are in office today to define for us what's right and wrong because the law of the land, that too also changes. Oh, it's true that sometimes the laws of the lands reflect God's standard, but that's God's standard. You see, those that are put in a position of authority in politics usually only serve one small group of people. You know that, right? The key word to remember is they make decisions for their constituency. That means it's not for everyone. It's just for a small group that voted them in office. You add to that the allurement of money and power. Many times politicians make decisions that are going to personally benefit themselves and not think at all about the people that they're called to serve. So we can't let politicians tell us what's right and wrong. Even the general population, just people in general, how careful we need to be not to allow just people in general and everyone's popular opinion tell us what sin is. I mean, think about it. Let, let's just use one simple example. Let, let's just say uh, a movie comes out. A movie comes out that has some sexual scenes in it, some nudity in it, some language in it. And as it comes out, you are going to hear a couple things. First of all, you're going to hear a group of people that says, that was a great movie. That was a wonderful movie. You've got to see it. It's a must-see. It's grossed a billion dollars. It's an Academy Award winner in there. You've got to see it. And so there's going to be a part of the population that says, you've got to see it. Then there's going to be another part of the population that says, ah, oh, it's a horrible movie. I don't know why it gave it. A, the actor was this and that was that. But those are the wrong people to listen to. When a movie comes out and you've got to choose what to watch, you need to ask God, what is your opinion? What's your opinion on this? You see, society can't do it. Politicians can't do it. People can't do it. Churches don't define for you what sin is. Pastors don't define for you what sin is. Only God defines sin. And 
I would do best as a leader in God's church to take you back to the word of God so that you can let him define for you what sin is in your life and mine. Sin is a serious issue. And, and we need to understand what God's heart is for our lives. It's not popular opinion. That's why I'm so thankful for God's word. It, it reveals to me what sin is and helps me avoid it altogether. It shows me what sexual sin is. It shows me what societal sins are. It shows me what personal sins. It shows me what public sins are. It reveals to me the truth about life. And it's not only to those that do them. It's not, the Bible doesn't just reveal sins to those that do them, but to all of us. Remember in Romans chapter one, it talks about not only those that sin, but also those that approve of them and how careful we need to be to allow God to define our lives. You know, the Bible, the Bible becomes a very offensive book. And you need to understand this. The Bible becomes a very offensive book to those that are living in sin. Those that are clinging to sin. Like one of the things that I found over the years is that most people don't need a pastor telling them all the sins they're committing. Because as soon as a person turns their, their mind and their thoughts toward God, he's already revealing things. I mean, we could go through and name every single sin. I don't know how many there are mentioned in the Bible. I guess we could read through a list, and by the time I'm done with the list, you will, oh, that's me, oh, that's me, but you don't really need that because the work of the Holy Spirit is always bringing to our remembrance and to, to the forefront of our minds the reality of our separation from God. And the Bible becomes very offensive. There is a tendency to avoid God's loving word to us when we find that it disagrees with our lifestyle, when we choose our lifestyle over God's word. And so it's important that you choose to receive God's word as painful as it might be. It's like a doctor in many cases. Doctors deal with very serious, significant issues in our bodies and sometimes terminal disease. And as much as we don't want to hear what the doctor has to say, we need to hear it. I don't want a doctor lying to me. Do you want a doctor lying to you? I want to know what's wrong. Because the only way that we can fix what's wrong is to identify it. And that's true in your life and mine. The only way to live a, in a right relationship with God is to identify where it's wrong. And only God does that. His law does that. Number two, number two, why is the law holy, just, and good? Well, secondly, the law reveals that we're sinners. <laughs> now we're getting personal. So first of all, God reveals through his law, number one, that there's sin. And, and you know, there's a comfortability, I think, at times, talking about sin philosophically, talking about it in the third person, talking about those sinners over there or those sinners out there. But you know what the law says? The law speaks to us sinners in here. It reveals that I'm a sinner. The law says Ed Taylor is a sinner. And everyone goes, oh yeah, amen. Ed no, no, you put your name in there. Don't put my name. Put your name in there. The law says your name as well as mine. The law reveals that we are sinners. See what Paul said? Notice what Paul said. He says in verse 7, For I would not have known covetousness unless the law has said, You shall not covet. You've got to understand who wrote this. Paul, we know him as Paul the Apostle, was an extremely spiritually smart man. 
he was in a group known as the Pharisees who dedicated and devoted their entire life to know the Bible. Today we would refer Paul as to a seminary educated, multiple degrees of studying the Bible. And as he's studying the Bible, as he opens it up with all his studies and all that he knew, as he opened it up and God revealed to him something he didn't know. God said, you're covetous, Paul. I mean, even if you step back for a second, even in his life, remember, as a Pharisee, he wasn't even saved. Do you know it's possible to be hyper-educated in the Bible and know all about the Bible and know this verse and that verse and have, you know, degrees and master divinity? You can have, you can, you could be the smartest person in the room about the Bible and still be dead inside. That you can know all the words, all the verses, and be far from God. And so you say, well, Ed, prove it. I will. One word. Pharisee. Jesus gave the strongest rebuke to Pharisees. Now, you've got to understand something before you kind of look at them and go, that's the Pharisees. Listen, the Pharisees would be a group of people that would be closest aligned to us and our theology and our understanding. They started out very strong. They were dedicated to the Word of God. That's what you would describe a Pharisee. They were dedicated to the Word of God. They were conservative in their approach. They believed in the supernatural. They wanted to honor God with their lives. They wanted other people to know God through his word. Like, like the Pharisees in how they started would be very similar to us and our dedication to the word of God. But here's what happened somewhere along the way. The word of God became more important than God. And the longer they lived in that, so much so that by the time Jesus came, you know what he told him? He says, look, you guys search the scriptures because you think in the scriptures you find eternal life. But they are that which speak of me. You see, eternal life is not knowing a scripture. It's knowing God by faith. That's where salvation comes. The Bible doesn't save you. God of the Bible saves you. That's a very important distinction. The trinity of God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. The Bible is what God's given to us to get us to him. And the Pharisees missed it. Jesus even told them, you guys are like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And what he was saying is, you look all nice on the outside, but inside you're corrupt. Well, guess what? Paul was corrupt too, just like you and me. He didn't even know he was covetous until the Bible said, don't covet. So imagine him opening up the scroll. He's reading it. Don't covet. What's his next question? What's coveting? Well, if you would look up coveting, it literally means to want something that someone else has. <laughs> want something that someone else has. Deeply desire it. You're almost, it's even worse than jealousy because covetous adds one more thing to it. It's not just that you want what someone else has, but you're not happy that they have it. You would rather have it. It's insidious. This constant pursuit, I've got to have it. Well, do you need it? No, I don't need it. I want it. I've got to have it. My neighbor has it, and I can't believe it. Why does he have it? I work all day long, and I save, and I, all we do is, I mean, my neighbor gets everything. And you know how it goes. Covetousness. Look, look, if an advertising company wanted to write down the mission and vision of their company, this is what the mission and vision is. We make people covet. Because that's really what advertising does. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but there have been times I see a, a commercial and I wanted something that I didn't even know existed before I saw that commercial. And it gets, you know, with the rise of social media, man, we are just, we're getting tossed to and fro like a tennis ball on a tennis court. Social media, there you are, you're sitting down, had a great day today, you're winding down, you know, you don't have a lot of resources, or you don't even want to go out, so what do you do? You go to the refrigerator, you take out that styrofoam container, it's half of a cheeseburger that the lettuce is all, but it's all right, I'm going to eat it, put it in the microwave, warm it up, you have it there on the kitchen table, you open up Instagram, oh man, look at what they're eating, look what I'm eating. I want what they're, but you know, the secret about Instagram is that picture of the meal actually isn't even theirs. They took it from the table next to them. <laughs> they're just got water and chips and salsa, man. That's all they got, but that's not, they don't post that on Instagram. And you know, we just are so stirred up. You know, I, I'll let you in on something, right? Because when I'm traveling, if there's an in and out in town, we visit it. And if you follow me on Instagram or social media, you'll know that I'll post a picture of this massive four-layer cheeseburger, all the patties, all the cheese. It's huge. It barely fits on my Instagram. I got to wrap it all around. That's not my cheeseburger. I don't eat like that anymore. That's my son's. He can eat like that. Why would I post some burger wrapped in a lettuce for you? That's not going to get very exciting. Or I get a little cheeseburger and then I don't even, I share the fries. Like, that's not exciting. My boy, he's got an exciting burger. Me, nah, boring. It's not even true. But I wonder, I mean, you look at a picture and you go, oh, I wish I was in In-N-Out. I wish I was there. And then it goes to, I want that. And then it goes to, why is he eating in and out all the time? That's not fair. I got to eat the same cheeseburger three times a week, man. That's not fair. That's not fair. I want that. I want that. Paul, he's reading the Bible and the Bible is telling him, you are covetous. That is a sin. You know why? Because covetousness is the exact opposite of contentment. And the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. See, the antidote to covetousness is contentment. Just saying, you know what, Lord? Whatever you have for me, I accept it. I'm so grateful. Even more so to go back to the moment you were born again. That's the greatest day in your life. And here you are coveting a cheeseburger, but you're saved. You're forgiven. You're going to heaven. And you're all bent out of shape because somebody has a better cheeseburger than you. But it's much more serious than that, isn't it? Because some people covet other people's wives and husbands. Some people covet other things, and it just, as you'll see in a moment, it just wrecks a life. Covetousness wrecks our lives. God's much better alternative is contentment. A good word there for us as we close out today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay, or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. 
Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We are so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today, 365 Quick Answers to Key Questions. This will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Our number again, 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Celebrating 20 years of God's faithfulness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of Hebrews. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.